0: This morning from John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of she bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial you always have the poor with you but you do not always have me the gospel of jesus christ i cannot imagine being at a dinner party casual conversation going on around the table and the next thing you know there's someone who's left their place and is crouched over the feet of someone else that's exactly what john describes happened at this dinner party for jesus that they are there at lazarus's house martha is serving And next thing you know, Mary has moved to the spot where Jesus is, and she's crouched over his feet. She's broken open this expensive perfume, and she's rubbing it on his feet. And if that is not scandalous enough, then she takes her long hair down and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. John sums it all up by saying she anoints his feet. But others there are not so kind. They begin to criticize. They think she's being impulsive and wasteful. Jesus says to them, leave her alone. I want to make a distinction this morning between what Mary is up to at this dinner party and what it seems all the others are there for. It looks like to me that all the others are glad to be at the party. They want to be with Jesus. They admire him. They might even love him. They may be even wanting to learn from him. But mostly they just want to be with him. But Mary is different. She doesn't want to just be with Jesus. She wants to be like him. She wants to be like As I was reading over this passage, it reminded me of that old story. You may have heard it before. I remember the first time I ever heard a preacher tell this story. It was about a time back in the 1930s when cars were still scarce in lots of neighborhoods. And one day a young boy came out of his tenement and parked right there at the curb was a brand new car, big and shiny, painted beautifully, large spoked wheels. He couldn't believe how stunning it looked and right there at his curve and pinstripes and he was just eyes wide taking it all in when a man came walking down the sidewalk and said to him would you like to have a ride in the car and he said oh my would i and he said well it's my car jump in and so the man got in and began to drive him around the neighborhood the little boy said after a while where does a fellow get a car like this? And the man driving said, well, my brother gave it to me as a present. I bet you wish you had a brother like that. And the young lad thought for a moment and then said, no, sir, one day I hope to be a brother like that. He had a different perspective. sometimes we pray oh Lord give me a blessing I pray like that I just prayed a blessing on our offering moments ago and on us as givers but I heard another fellow say the other day it might be even a better prayer to say oh Lord make me a blessing oh Lord make me a blessing there really is a distinction I think we see it in the text today between those who just want to be with Jesus and Mary who wants to be like him. Some have come to the dinner party to get a blessing. Mary is there to give a blessing. It is a significant difference in their attitudes. Mary is ready. She loves Jesus. She's ready to serve him fact she's ready to sacrifice because of her love for him and certainly i understand and you probably do too the loving part and the serving part sometimes i balk when i get to the line about sacrificing for him i would guess that i'm not the only one in the room who has hesitated when it comes to sacrifice story we have Mary down on her knees sacrificing for Jesus sacrificing perhaps her most valuable possession this pound of perfume biblical scholars several of the ones I read said that to buy a pound of perfume like that in her day it would have been about, this 300 denarii would have been about a year's wages for a common worker. Can you imagine sacrificing a year's income because of your love for Jesus? But Mary's ready. Mary's ready to take that step. She's ready to sacrifice because of the deep love of God she's experienced through this Jesus from Nazareth. And now she's wanting to return that love. She's wanting to be a blessing to him. Reminded me of a story about a guy who was in another city on business, not a city in which he lived. He finished his business, came out of the building, waved down a taxi, jumped in the back seat and said, I need to get to the airport in a hurry taxi driver took off through the busy streets driving as quickly as he could they were speeding along one avenue in the right lane when all of a sudden a black car popped out of a parking spot right in front of them not moving very fast taxi driver slams on the brakes the car begins to weave and skid and they ended up just inches from having an accident The guy in the black sedan rolls down his window and begins to wave his finger at the taxi driver and yell obscenities. The taxi driver just waves and smiles and directs him to go on and gives him the ride away. The guy in the back seat said, why did you do that? that guy almost wrecked your car. He could have ruined your livelihood. He could have sent both of us to the hospital and you waved and smiled and were kind. And the passenger said, that's when the taxi driver began to tell me what I now call the law of the garbage truck. He said, you know, people are a lot like garbage trucks they begin to take on trash. I mean, they get filled up with hurt and disappointment and conflict and anger. And finally, when they get full enough, they dump it on somebody else. And it might be you. He said, but the world doesn't need you passing that along. Don't take their garbage and share it with somebody else. That's no way to help the world. He said, I just try to let it go and be kind and friendly. I think it's a better way to live. Well, the passenger had something to think about. When I thought about the taxi driver, I thought he's sacrificing some to live like that. He's sacrificing his right away on the streets. He's sacrificing his desire to be right. He, in some ways, is sacrificing his pride, his need to be right in the conflict, his need to win the argument, his his need to feel superior to others. He's sacrificing all of that. Do you sacrifice anything? Will you sacrifice anything? Jesus will you sacrifice something for your faith we don't talk about this a lot but it's an important part of the gospel
1: I will tell you I find it hard
0: sometimes when I feel God calling me to sacrifice something even for Jesus but Mary ready to go. She is ready to love and serve and sacrifice whatever it takes. Plus, she seems to be the only one in the story that's beginning to realize Jesus is going to die. He's going to die. He's going to give himself up for her and for all of us. He's walking toward his death. And somehow in the midst of that dinner party, she realized what was going on. He's going to die. Now is the time. Now is the time to anoint him for his burial. And she gets up from her spot and goes to him and breaks open the perfume and begins to pour it and wipe it on his feet. Others are annoyed and begin to criticize her. But in verse 7, Jesus responds, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. going to die he understands where he's going and where it leads but Jesus also understands something else and I think Mary in this story is beginning to grasp it. and it is this when you give yourself to God you always get more back when you give yourself to God You always get more back even if it feels like sacrifice I was thinking about this in my own life most of you all know how the United Methodist Church organizes for leadership every four years we elect some of our clergy people and designate them as bishops they're given authority, authority to assign all the rest of us who are ordained and match us with churches in a certain area where the bishop sees that they need our service. Now, a bishop works with a cabinet or with a group of advisors called district superintendents. They're charged with the responsibility to look at all the needs of people in Oklahoma and have United Methodist churches and assign each and every one of us wherever they see fit. Go back with me to August 2000. I was here at Boston Avenue as an associate pastor. One of our youth had graduated, gone to college at Harvard, met a young lady and was ready to get married. His family invited me to come to Boston to do the wedding. I was glad to do so. Mary and I went to Boston, we did the wedding, we saw some sights, it was a wonderful time. We flew back into Tulsa late one night. We got to our house about 10 p.m. My mother had been taking care of our two children. As soon as we walked in, bags still in hand, she said to me and handed me this note, your district superintendent has called. And he said, call him back no matter how late you get home. Oh, no, it was right. <laughs> I looked at mary and said i don't know what this is but this is not good news for us i called the district superintendent that night and he said we have a new appointment for you and i said uh what he said we have a new appointment for you and i said how can that be the bishop has stated clearly unless i've asked to move or my church or my senior pastor has asked me to move I'm not even on your list. And he said, well, that is true, but we've been working on this one for a while. And every time we talk about it and pray about it, your name ends up at the top of our list. I said, can I talk to Dr. Biggs about this? They said, well, sure, feel free to call him. So I did. And he said, First I heard of it was when they called me today looking for you. I didn't know anything about this. David. We talked for a while. He tried to reassure me. But of course, at that point, he has no control over what's going to happen. Well, after I got off the phone calls and the reality began to set in, Mary began to cry. then I began to cry. And then our kids began to cry. (laughs) And we spent pretty much that whole night crying and talking about how could this be. I mean, I had been appointed here at Boston Avenue for 13 years. Both our kids had been born and baptized right here. This was our church home. This was our church family. I had not asked to be moved. And yet the call had come. I tell you it felt like sacrifice now I understood when I signed up that I serve at the will of the bishop I mean I'm called to serve Christ but I discerned that call in the people called United Methodist and so I knew when I answered that call and went into ordained ministry that I was subject to be sent whenever the bishop wants to send But it was so shocking because this was August and in Oklahoma, we moved pastors in May and June. I wasn't supposed to be on the list. Do you understand? (laughs) I was serving here. I thought they were going to leave me here until Dr. Biggs retired and then send us both someplace else. (laughs) It hurt. It hurt us. when We got the call. And we realized we're moving. All of our family lived here. Our daughters were in a language immersion school, the only one in the state like it. And we were moving. And the new appointment was so different. It was a different place in the state, it was a different size town, it's a different church. I was going to have a different role. Everything seemed different. tell you what happened we ended up having a decade of very productive ministry at that church and we found such a loving and encouraging community for our children that they flourished and loved growing up there and our oldest daughter met a young man who now she's married to so I tell you it was a blessing when the call came Felt like sacrifice. I really do believe deep down in my soul when you give yourself to God, you always get more back. You may have heard the saying, You can't outgive God. I believe that God is always ready to give us more as soon as we are ready give more of ourselves. But sometimes, that's really hard to hang on to. It reminded me of a prayer I'd read not so long ago. It reads like this. Dear Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish. I haven't even been overindulgent. I'm so very thankful. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. (laughs) And from then on, I'm going to need a lot of help. (laughs) To be like Jesus, we're going to need a lot of help. If I'm going to sacrifice for Jesus, I'm counting on God for a lot of help. When I give my whole self to God, I know. I'm going to need a lot of help. It may be the same for you. Our text today tells us a story about Mary down on the floor sacrificing for Jesus. It made me think of the question that John Wesley used to ask the early Methodists. How is it with your soul how is it with your soul it's a perfect question for Lent when we're called to do some self-examination when we're called to look at ourselves and to contemplate and meditate and pray and read scripture thinking how am I doing with this being like Jesus stuff in 2016. Where am I in that relationship with God as a follower of Christ? What do I need to give up? What do I need to take on? How is it with your soul? Are you ready to sacrifice? Do you feel God ever calling you? sacrifice something for your faith what do you do how do you respond are you listening do you want to be like Christ more than you want anything else I think that's where Mary is in this story She wants to be more like Jesus than she wants anything else. Social standing, pride, valuable possessions. She wants to be like him. How is it with your soul? During this season of Lent, we're to do some self-examination. But let me suggest that we pray for each other as we do this self-examination as we move through this season of self-examination and repentance because surely all of us are going to need a lot of help. Amen. And thanks be